Our, uh, tonight, our gospel uh, that we just heard, um, it continues the theme of the gospels that we've heard uh, for about the last month now of Jesus, or the of Holy Mother Church giving us this time of reflecting kind of on the end. Um, we, next week is Christ the King Sunday, which is the last week of our liturgical calendar. Advent 1 is right around the corner, uh, and that kicks off a new liturgical year. Um, so what we do at the end of the liturgical year, every year, is we kind of reflect on the end, right? So last week we had the Ten Virgins, and we've had a couple of different images over the last couple of weeks. Well, this week it's the same. It, 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 Jesus, in reflecting, and Jesus, in sharing this parable, is teaching his apostles and teaching his followers about the end that is to come, right? Namely, getting into heaven, right? And what he does is he uses a very interesting image, I think, for all of us, um, an image that may seem almost kind of foreign or kind of odd to us, um, but if we know the details of it, we kind of know the backstory of it, and if we can kind of break open a couple of things today, I think there's a lot that we can tease out and a lot that we can learn for ourselves. Um, and it's not just meant for a context of 2,000 years ago that would have understood every little detail of where he was coming from. So what I want to do tonight uh, is simply just to kind of break open the scripture. Um, so I, I was trying this morning and last night, I was trying to kind of like fit a story in and it just wasn't working. So you know what? We're going to toss it and we're going to roll. So if you look at today's gospel, as we look at this, this image of this master and his servants, right? This master is going on a journey uh, and he has three servants. And what he does is he calls them to himself and he says, hey, I'm leaving. I want you to be in charge of my accounts, right? And according to their, to their capabilities and responsibility and like how much he trusts them, he says, okay, you get five talents, you get two talents, and you get one talent. Now, the, the, the word talent, when we hear that, probably the first thing that comes to our mind is like a talent as far as like singing or painting or playing a sport or, you know, a skill, a skill set that we might have. Um, our, our modern English word talent does come from this, but when we're talking about talents, what actually, it's a, uh, it's a monetary, it's a, it's a money term. Um, Talent meant, some, meant something like 15 to 20 years wages, okay? So to put it into modern American context, we think 20 years wages is a talent, and let's say a Google search tells you that the, uh, the average American, the, the average American uh, yearly wage is roughly $50,000, round numbers, easier math, right? Um, 20 talent, 20 years times $50,000, one talent equals about a million dollars, okay? So think of it in those terms, right? This guy does, he has a lot. He has a big estate. He has a big, he, he has servants. He, he's a rich man, right? And what he does is he calls his servants and he says, here's $5 million, here's $2 million, and here's $1 million. And what I want you to do is, is I'm going on a journey, I'm going to be leaving, so I want you to take care of my accounts while I'm gone. Seems fair enough. And he says, I'll basically what he's entrusting them to do is he's entrusting them to take his accounts, take this money, and treat it as if he was in charge of it. So manage it the way he would manage it, right? And it sounds like this man is well-to-do. It sounds like this man it has some confidence and some uh, competency when it comes to dealing with money. So he's expecting a return on his investment. So he leaves. And we hear the story. Five becomes ten, two becomes four, and the one, he decides, I'm going to go 
and I'm going to go and just bury it because I don't want to risk it. I don't want to lose it, right? Well, servant, the, the master comes back, calls his servants, and he says, okay, what did you do for me? I made five more. Great. Into your master's joy. That phrase, scripture scholars will say, that phrase is basically, is great job, you've done what you were asked to do with your talents, now into your master's joy, in the context of the parable, come on into heaven. Right? Two, I've I've have two, I've been given two, this is what I've done with it, I've produced two more, awesome, great, come into your master's joy. And then, our Paul bet one. Right? What does he do? He takes it, he buries it. And he comes to his master and he says, I was afraid. I was afraid to lose it. I knew you were a judgmental person. If I lose it, then I'm going to be judged for it and I'm worried about this. So what I did was, is I just took what you gave me and I just buried it. And I figured it's better to bring back that and not take a risk than, you know, like to, than to risk losing it and not having anything to present to you. So here you go, you can have it back. I buried it. Just knock the dirt off. It's just as good as it always was. Right? And his response to him is, you wicked, lazy servant. There are two things that we can learn from that third servant that I think are very, very important for us. There are two things that I think we can, we can really tease out with that third servant that I think is a very, very important thing. The first one is the accusation that is, is lobbed at him from the landowner, from his master. You're lazy. And the second one is, why was he lazy? What's really going on is he had this sense of fear. First one, the lazy part. He's been given a gift. He's been given a million dollars. Just go and do with it. Go and manage it. Go and put it to use for the sake of the master. Go and Just go and invest it. Go do something with it. Like, don't just bury it. Don't just leave it. Don't, don't let it just kind of sit there and rot. But like, go and do something with it. Right? That's what he says. Like, I want you to spend it. I want you to invest it. I want you to do something with what I have given you. But he's lazy. It's more comfortable to not worry about it. It's easier just to bury it, dig a hole, bury it, set it, forget it, never have to touch it again. I think sometimes in our faith, I, I, and I say this about myself, but I, I laugh because people will be like, Father, you were talking to somebody mentioned earlier. Said, I felt like you were talking to me. I said, no, I was talking to me, and you just all get to watch, right? Um, I said... But, but I think sometimes, I know for me, sometimes it, it, like being faithful is just, I don't feel like doing it. It's easier just to be lazy. Pope Francis uh, at World Youth Day in 2016 in, uh, in Poland actually made a, he, he had an interesting little phrase he used. He said, we, he was talking to the youth of the church and the young people of the world, and he said, we, you young generation, you need to not fall for the, the empty promises of couch Christianity. Just a big, comfortable couch that you just sit on and do nothing with. 
big comfortable couch where you just sit on with like a bag of chips and a Coke and you just like enjoy whatever's on the screen in front of you. And y'all, probably some of y'all are like, it's Thanksgiving break. Yes, I get to finally do that. At least that's what I've been thinking all day. But anyway, like I, I know like there's, there's a part of us that just like there's something attractive about that that I just don't have to do anything. Like these are the people that love COVID because you were like, oh man, I just got to like be away from people and do nothing, right? Like, but we can fall for the fallacy of comfort. We're not, we're not made for comfort. We're not made to be lazy. Slothful. In fact, outright Jesus, that outright Jesus today in the gospel, like, calls it out and says, you wicked servant, you wicked, lazy servant, you have been given so much and did nothing with it. I'm not called to be lazy. And sometimes there's no other excuse of why we don't pray or why we don't go to Mass or why we don't go to confession. You're all here tonight, even though it's late and it's on a, on a, on a break. And it's like, man, it might have taken everything to get here. Praise God you're here. But laziness sometimes is just the only real reason why we don't do something. The, the other thing uh, that he calls out, the other thing that I think today's parable is meant to call out is fear. Because if it's not laziness that, that completely cripples him, if it's not laziness is the only reason why he just buried the money and left it, there's, a, there's also this element of fear. Now we could say fear of his, of his master, but uh, there was an interesting take on this scripture that I remember hearing uh, a while back. Because if we look, so just a, a note about the Gospels, right? The Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to John. Um, what all of these are is that it's different people that have looked at the person of Jesus Christ, looked at his life, right, and wrote down kind of a biography about Jesus, right? It's an ancient biography. That's what all of these are. Well, they all look at same stories, all look at the same Jesus and the same stories, and some of them, there might be like some details in one that are missing in another, and we can kind of like cross-reference some of these episodes. But if we look at St. Luke's account of this exact same scripture, what we hear about this, this landowner is he doesn't just go on a trip. He doesn't just leave because it's Thanksgiving break and I can take off for a little while, right? What St. Luke says is, a nobleman went off to a distant country to obtain the kingship for himself and then to return. He called ten of his servants and gave them the stuff. So a nobleman went off to a distant country to obtain a kingship. Now, we may hear that and it might be like, okay, what's the big deal there, Father? But, but bear with me here. This master has a lot, right? And what he does is he's going to leave to go and to take a kingship, to go take the role of a king. Um, just, a left, just an FYI, uh, they don't hand out kingships for fun. That's, that's not something that happens. It's not like they go to the Oprah show and they get a car, right? Like it's not, not that kind of thing. Like what's happening is, is he's going and he's going to take over the seat of a king. That's one of two ways. Either that happens through some kind of political process or that happens through war. Either way, he's probably not making friends in the process, Right? So when he goes to leave, what he does is, is he says, if I die, 
I want you all to manage my accounts. If I'm gone for a long time, I want you all to manage my accounts. I want you to keep things going for my family and for my land and for my people. So that when I go, if I die, if I don't return, my family will be taken care of. My land will be harvested. That the world that I built doesn't get left behind. Now, in this process, let's say he would have died and not returned. Well, it's like the wild. It's You defeat somebody, you get all their stuff. You get all their land. You get all their servants. So if this man, if this master goes to obtain this kingship, fails at it, and somebody else takes over this land, somebody else takes over his estate, then what's going to happen is they're going to come in and see these servants working diligently in his name, following his commands diligently, wanting to and being honored, like being uh, devoted to their master. So chances are these servants were faithful and good servants probably going to also be executed. So this third servant, not only is he lazy, not only is he coming shaking and scared to his master because he's afraid of what he might say, but this third servant also there's a lack of faith in his master. I don't know if he's going to win. I don't know if he's going to succeed. And if he doesn't, I have an insurance policy. Because the next guy that comes in, I can look at him and say, I didn't really trust him. I didn't really know him. I can be aligned with you. I don't have any allegiance to him. I, I, the reason why I think that's so important, and the reason why I think it's, it's worth diving into, is because... Most of the time, our fear, the way fear plays itself out when it comes to our faith, is not going to be, I'm afraid of being beaten up over my faith. I'm afraid of being martyred. That's other places of the world. We pray for that. Like, we pray for those, those situations, and we pray for those people. Most of the time, the way our faith is challenged, and the way that fear creeps in, is that somebody looks at us and says, you go to church on Sunday. Why is the Pope saying fill in the blank? Aren't you Catholic? Why do you hate so and so? Don't you have a God? Don't, don't you believe in God? Is my sister so and so that's in this situation going to help? How do we react to those situations? Uncomfortable. Just kind of say a word or two of what they want to hear and then take off and go to the other room. If you don't believe me that this is the, this is the way that this kind of happens, uh, just wait about four days. Because Thanksgiving's coming up, and I promise you, every one of us has that uncle or that aunt that shows up for Thanksgiving and ask all those questions, and you're going to sit there and you're going to go, oh, goodness. 
Uncle so-and-so's here. And we could smile and we can listen to the gossip or the racist joke or the, the thing about this person or the angry thing about that or whatever. And we could just smile and be like, uh-huh, yeah. And then like go get a drink and not say anything. Because sometimes for, sake, for the sake of self-preservation, it's easier just to bury our faith. Pretend it's not there for a little while. Smile, nod, be polite. And walk away. that's exactly what the Lord's calling out for. What you have been given is not meant to be buried. Out of laziness or out of fear, it's not meant to be buried. It's meant to be put to use. The thing that drives out fear and the thing that motivates us over the laziness the grace, the, the, the virtue, the gift from God that moves us beyond those two things is faith. Now faith, and when I say faith, I, I don't mean uh, some kind of wishful thinking. I don't just mean um, the, 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 some kind of empty words that we might say. But when I say faith, I mean trust, an undying trust in our hearts of knowing who Jesus is and believing who he is. Because if I know who Jesus is, then when I go to pray, like, it's worth my time. There's not the question of, are you there or not? And then I, I'm not as lazy when it comes to my prayer. My prayer doesn't grow tepid as quickly. If I know who Jesus is, then guess what? When, when it comes to having a conversation and being approached by a hard thing or uh, uh, something, that's, something that's just... Uh, just like just completely lacking charity or, or love or gossip or some of that kind of stuff. Like when I approach those kind of things, I, I, I can call it out and say, yeah, we can be above that because I know who Jesus is. He's the one working in my life. True faith drives out laziness. True faith drives out fear. Because we trust who Jesus is, we know who Jesus is, and we believe it with everything that we are. Like tonight when we come to communion, for example. Every day when we come to communion, priest of the, uh, the minister, we stand here and we, what do we do? The body of Christ. And you say, sword, amen, right? Well, when we say that word, uh, some people have I've heard it at other parishes and other times, People that will come up and they'll say what that word means, but they don't, in saying what that word means, they actually like undercut it because they don't say it fully. Like when we say amen, what that word's actually meaning is, it, it means I believe. But what it, it doesn't just mean I believe, it means I believe to the point that I'm willing to die for this. Like I believe Jesus Christ, you are who you said you are. I believe you came and did what you said you did, and I believe that's the Jesus that's in front of my face, the body of Christ. And we say, I believe. I, we say, I lay my life down on this belief. We say, amen. There's an intensity to the amen that we say. There's an intensity to the belief that we proclaim when we come face to face with the host, when we come face to face with Jesus in the Eucharist, every Mass.
Because it's a faith that we reaffirm. A faith that's way bigger than laziness or tepidity. A faith that's way bigger than a fear or self-preservation. Keeping the peace. You do you, I'll do me, and that's fine. It's a faith that carries us all the way into heaven. Jesus did not mix words today in our, in our gospel. He didn't mix words in his parable. What we have been given, we are asked to put to use. And when we don't, it's not good. And today as we come to this Mass, the faith that we proclaim, the faith that we profess, be a faith that's strong enough to move us past laziness, move us past fear. It brings us closer and closer to the person that we come to meet tonight. The person of Jesus Christ. Made present here on this altar and given to us in the body of Christ. Amen.